every time you touch that internet, every time you click that button, you're vulnerable. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our time to meet and get to the heart of what's important to you as a professional project manager. We talk to the people who don't just observe what is happening, but actually make things happen. People who have been right there in the thick of projects, great and small, and are willing to share what they've learned with us. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me is the one who makes this podcast happen, Bill Yates. And Bill, today we're going to talk with someone involved in something that has either already affected many of us, or perhaps eventually will. Cybersecurity is in the news for all the wrong reasons Yes, just about every day. And uh, I'm thrilled to have Don here to help give us some advice. Well, let's meet our guest. Dr. Don Hunt is a postdoctoral research fellow in the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Georgia State University. A former global head of fraud and cybercrime analytics for one of the largest digital payments processors in the world, Dr. Hunt directs his primary research toward understanding, preventing, and offering policy solutions for computer-based crime. He focuses on phishing, social engineering, and ransomware attacks. Dr. Hunt is an integral part of the newly formed Evidence-Based Cybersecurity Initiative at Georgia State. As a doctoral student, he was awarded the Bureau of Justice Statistics Graduate Fellowship in 2015, which came with a $95,000 grant for his research in crime and digital payments. In addition to his work in the U.S., he regularly performs research with colleagues in the U.K., the Netherlands, Israel, and Italy. Don, thank you so much for joining us here on Manage This. Thanks. It's good to be here. Okay, we probably all know of businesses or individuals who have been the victims of cyber attackers. They try to gain access to or destroy sensitive information, extort money, or interrupt normal business processes. And just when it seems we've got a handle on it, the hackers become more innovative. That's got to be frustrating, particularly for folks like you. It's completely frustrating. It's the entire focus of what I do. <laughs> just trying to stay ahead of them. Just trying to stay ahead of them or just stay with them. So when we talk about cyber attacks, what kinds of attacks are we talking about? Oh, gosh, there's so many ways. And, and here comes one of the problems with trying to prevent cyber is that we really don't even have a handle on the definition of it. Wow. So if you look at the FBI and they have a specific website that you can go to, over the years, probably the last 15 years, They've changed that definition of cybercrime at least three or four times. So the idea of what is cybercrime, what's not cybercrime, does it work with computer-assisted or is it completely computerized? Are people just using the Internet to commit a crime? For a good example, we can take theft. Someone who would steal something out of your mailbox, for instance, somebody stole a check that you were expecting. Mm -hmm. That's a normal kind of a crime, right? Mm -hmm. But if they steal your credit card, and then they use that credit card over the internet, it becomes cybercrime. Yeah. Mm. Then again, local law enforcement would say, that's just a theft It's done over the internet, mm. so we should prosecute that locally, and we should investigate that locally. The FBI, the Electronic Crimes Task Force, things like that would say, oh, that's my jurisdiction, let me do it. And then if it becomes boring, they kick it back to local. <laughs> if it's really exciting, local doesn't want to give it away. So it's hard to actually say, what is cybercrime? How do we prosecute it? How do we investigate it? And so just starting right there, Mm. already we have problems. 
And I know from my standpoint, every project manager is concerned about cybercrime. Yes. You know, however the FBI or local authorities want to define it, it keeps us up at night too in some cases because we have very sensitive data either within our company or with our vendors or with other organizations that we're working with. And we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we secure it? How do we safely share it? And I'm just excited to have you in to be able to talk with us to give us advice on that. Yeah, it's exciting stuff, and it continually changes every day. So it's a fun place to be right now. So when we're talking about project management, so many different kinds of programs we use or online, uh, what are the most at-risk systems for project managers? That's a great question, and that gets to the heart of a lot of what we do. We're finding that a lot of... IT managers, information security managers, officers, these types of people, they're not worried about how much they've spent on cybersecurity. They're not worried about whether they have the right product. There are a lot of good products out there, and you can spend a good bit of money or you can spend a little bit of money, but they're all very viable. The problem is the most at-risk system or the at-risk network is the one that faces the public. Mm. So, for instance, if I have a system where I need the public to interact that becomes more at risk than a system that is what we call air-gapped. So it's just all-inclusive. I don't need the internet for it. I don't need people to see it. A lot of databases are stored that way on networks. So you might have big companies that have two different networks. You might have a network where the customer is able to interact typical example is your online banking system. Right. And then there's other information that you don't want the public to be able to get to. In fact, you don't need for anyone to access that but your own internal people. So you'll probably have another network along that line. Now, those two networks could be stored on one server or multiple servers. And how you map that depends on what your business needs are. Mm -hmm. But the general idea is the most at-risk system is the one where you can have people facing what we call internet facing systems. Mm. So you might have an administrator that needs the internet. You might have a sales force that needs to communicate back and forth. Hey, I need this report written or this report on a merchant or the sales or the marketing data or whatever. So you've got people grabbing data from an internal source and then sending it out. And that's when it becomes a problem. So public facing. Public facing with internal people who are dealing with the public. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is going to get wacky, Don. This is almost like a rapid-fire session, just all the the random questions that I was thinking of when I thought, okay, we're going to have Don Hunt in the room. Yeah, you're talking to a former Marine, so bring it on. Okay. (laughs) Wish you back. (laughs) Good to know. All right. Good to know. One of the things that I'm interested in your feedback on is file sharing. Uh, Just last week, I was with a group of 30 project managers, and I was asking them, how do you guys share files? And, you know, as we talk about it, there's, again, there's, there's file sharing within the organization. That's fairly safe. You know, we, sure, you can make mistakes, but that's safe. Sure. Then we engage, for our project managers, they're engaging vendors or contractors or outside the organization. Right. So, you know, sharing data there, uh, file specs for the, the work they're to do, drawings, you know, so it can take on many forms, spreadsheets, large data files, you know, databases, you name it. But then many times our PMs are managing customers. They have customer engagements where it's a small customer, large customer. Right. Uh, local, global. You know, so just talk to me about what are some methods for safely sharing files? Great question. Unfortunately, it's not a short answer. <laughs> yeah, I was afraid <laughs> so, of that. Yeah. So the first thing you need to look at is what types of files that you're sending out. Okay. 
what type of security you need on those files, the sensitivity of those files, whether you're sending private information or publicly known information, how much do you care if that information gets skimmed as it's moving. The easiest way to think about how you would do that is how many touch points it takes between getting the file from where it is to getting the file where you want it. Okay. And everywhere there's a touch point, there's a vulnerability. All right. So you have, you want to go from point A to point E. Mm. It has to go from A to B, B to C, C to D, and D to E, right? Every gap in between there is a vulnerability. So you need to think about what type of data is going from A to E, who's going to have access to it on the way, and then how is the system secured or configured for the security that way. Now, you'll have FTP, which is uh, File Transfer Protocol. Yeah. Um, so is, that the, is FTP the safest in terms uh, of this? It's certainly one of the safest. Okay. Um, so FTP, I mean, that's old school. That's, it that is old was, school. You know, before Dropbox, before Google Drive, et cetera. Correct. FTP was kind of the way to go. Right. It's interesting to me in some projects, that's the way that people still need to, to do file transfers. Certainly an IT department for an external organization may say, no, that's the only way we're going to exchange with you is through FTP. Right. But then, so what about the practical things, though, like Dropbox? What's wrong with Dropbox? Nothing's wrong with Dropbox if you want everybody in the world to have access to it. (laughs) Okay. So there's something, if I think about Google Drive, Dropbox on the kind of the, okay, you're really exposing... You need to know what risks you have because there are some there versus FTP or maybe higher end. Yeah. You know, what does the poor project manager do? How do they pick the right tool? Ah, yeah. So the poor project manager has to think more than that. Yeah. They have to think about budget. Okay. A lot of people still use file transfer protocol. I'm just going to continue to say FTP if that's all right. Sure, Sure. Um, We use those types of things because it's core. It's cheap. It's embedded in most systems. Right. Easy. You don't have to pay extra money for it. And so... We use it. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, it's fine. If you've got internal communications going on and you're transferring files department to department or division to division, that's not necessarily an issue. Sure. You could certainly go to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And you could. There are many, many different sources to go to for the cloud right now, but that's expensive. Mm-hmm. And you take away some of the risk involved in it, and we can talk a little bit more about what that involves. But you certainly are going to pay for that service. Dropbox is good, and Dropbox is generally secure. The problem with Dropbox is social engineering. What do you mean by that? So So if I'm in Facebook, I can get to Dropbox? Is that what you mean? You could, um, (laughs) but it's it's not what you would want to do. No, I'm talking about things like we know that there happens to be a Dropbox out there. And pretend that I'm in your system, but I haven't mapped it all out yet. But I'm watching your email. Uh Okay, and, you know, hey, just drop this in to the Dropbox. Now I have an IP address for your Dropbox, right? And I have an email communication Mm. that can send you an email that's going to look very official and say, hey, I can't get into my Dropbox. What's the dang password again? What's something like that? And you're in. Um, And it's not hard. Anyone can access it. Dropbox.com. Go to whatever file it is that, you know, mm-hmm. the IP address or the file address, or there's several ways to get in there. You have URLs and all those things. I can break it pretty easy. Okay. Got it. Which is, again, why things like Google Drive have come up and OneDrive and right. a lot of universities and other kind of government issued. Are you using OneDrive? They're using OneDrive. Okay. And so a lot of manufacturers, now, for instance, Microsoft, you automatically, when you upload Windows 10, there's access to OneDrive okay. um, and those types of things. Gotcha. So there is a trade-off there. There's risk versus 
Reward. How much you want? Yeah, and how much you're going to spend on it. Exactly. Um, so for the PM, we have to really look at the data, determine how sensitive it is. Think about worst case scenario. What if this gets out there? Is it a schematic? Is it you know the secret sauce for a company? Right. Is it the uh, the formula for Coke, <laughs> or is this you know something that's okay? It's our org chart, which they could get anyway. Right. You know, you know, it's funny you bring that up. From what I understand, it's made public knowledge now at this point. Several years ago, the formula for Coke got out. Okay. And it got out through, it's my understanding it got out through a administrative assistant of a very high executive. Mm -hmm. And that person went to Pepsi and offered that for sale. Pepsi, of course, did the right thing, called Coke. Coke said, all right, you're fired. But that's a great example about how information on your private network can get gone. Mm, yeah. Okay. And and again, I'm not worried about how much money did we spend on securing that data, right? right. Coca-Cola spent a ton of money on data protection, mm -hmm. and they do a lot of things to keep data secure. Mm -hmm. You can spend all the money on the software. You can spend all the money on the hardware. You can have the best information security people on the planet, right? But at some point, somebody has to have access to it. Right. Otherwise, the data is useless. Think, mm -hmm. think about it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So... Just because you have all this information at one point, there's a touch point that's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be this administrative assistant or whatever role that person played, mm -hmm. right, that had access to the information and had, let's say, less than spectacular morals. Yeah, want um, to make a buck. Exactly. But these are the things that the people on the dark net and those on the internet who would have nefarious goals or objectives are looking for. It's much easier to go after someone with a weak constitution. And I don't mean weak as in morals. I can't tell what your morals are, but I can certainly tell you're just an end user and you have no idea what I can do to you right. to get into your system versus a trained professional IT security person who's got the latest network stuff, who's got the latest firewall, the latest OS shell, all of these things doing remarkably well to protect the data. Yeah, but yeah. there's one little person who can do that. Yeah, looking for that weak link. And it is. so, huh. you know, And that's problematic because you can't really predict for that. Right. You don't know who has the propensity to do what. Yeah. One ahead, of the things, Don, no, you're mentioning something that I want to talk about too, which is the uh, VPN or virtual private network. You know, you talked about the network and letting people in and, and people accessing something that maybe they shouldn't be able to. Right. One of the things that I, I've been accustomed to, I did work with utilities as a project manager for years. Right. And they were external clients for our company. So we'd have VPN, we have VPN tokens. You know, I had like a drawer that I had all these VPN tokens <laughs> in for different yeah. clients and different right. software that we were using. How important is VPN and what advice would you share on that? VPN is almost critical to uh, most businesses yeah. these days. Okay. Uh, as we move further and further into a remote workforce, VPN is going to be even more critical. And you have to understand that VPN just stands for virtual private network like you spoke about. But there are ways of doing that. Yeah. It's not just one product. There's a lot of different products. Yeah. There's end-to-end -end encryption. There's point-to-point -point encryption, which is... Yeah. Kind of the same. We won't get into the details, right? And aren't we, are we basically saying this is, just trying to think of an analogy with this, is it almost like when I'm getting on a flight, I go through TSA. Right. And TSA wants to check my credentials, check my boarding pass and make sure I am who, I'm legit. Right. I can go past this gate. Right. So we're doing that with our, could be with our own company, with our own team members that work remotely. Right. You know, I go home at night, I can VPN into the company assets mm -hmm. to be able to get to the things mm -hmm. I need to. Right. Gotcha. And that was actually the beginning. Years ago, it was actually the beginning of two-factor authentication. Really and truly, it was two-step authorization rather okay. than 
there's a slight difference in the two, right? Uh, and I want to be clear for for the people yeah. that are listening. But that VPN token um, had that a token number was, had a that number that was usually in. revolving, and yeah. then you had to have a password to get to the VPN system. Mm-hmm. Then you had to have that password again yeah. uh, on there, and that would allow you access to whatever you had access to if you were in the office. Gotcha, itself. Right. right. So it doesn't give you any more uh, or less access. Yeah. It's just the ability to work remotely and securely. So is it, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, as a project manager, if we, if our company policy is we should be using VPN when we're remote, whether we're at home or we're at the comp- the other, you know, the client side or whatever, okay. by golly, we ought to do that. Is that, you know, the PM should basically enforce that with his team? Sure. Do you agree? Okay. Sure. Yeah, just good security protocol. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, you mentioned something else. Explain to us two-factor authentication, and is it the savior? You know, can we? What can it do for us, and what are the weaknesses there? Because Nick and I are thinking two-factor authentication. Let's just put that on everything. We'll yeah, be fine. yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Wide open again to all kinds of problems. Okay. Uh, what, well, what is it? it first of all? Yeah. Just okay. For so two-factor that. authentication is the type of thing where you need two different types of information to actually access whatever it is, system you want, or data what you want, and all the rest of that. So more than a password. Way more than a password. Okay, so it's typically what you know, what you have, and who you are. Uh-huh. So if you think of those three questions, the one, two of those things are going to come into play. Think of it as two separate locks. Okay. Rather than two different parts of one combination, now you have two locks. Mm-hmm. And typically it will be a great example when you go into your banking information yes, and you do it from, say, a, a computer that you're not normally there, right. okay, that you use, it's going to say, what's your password? You may have that. It may ask you security questions. And then it's going to say, we're going to send you a code on your iPhone or on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And that code, you're going to have to put that code into this system, however it looks, and then you can go from there. Mm-hmm. That will let you in. That's two-factor authentication. Okay. You don't have to use the phone, though. You could use a password and biometrics. So that's the what you know and who you are. Uh-huh. So your thumbprint. Retina scans are huge now, right? But there's all kinds of different ways to do it. The Surface Pros are coming out now where they have the internal camera. And you, when you first set it up and you've just bought it, that camera, you can tell it to take a picture of your face. And it will open up just by that. Okay. And you'd think all that would be enough. It's like, okay, no, nobody else has got my cell phone, so nobody has access to this Secret right. number. And nobody right. has your face. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> has your face. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> but you're saying that's not quite enough to keep the uh, the real pros out? Oh, that's dangerous, Nick. <laughs> um, <laughs> not quite enough. Man, you guys, you kill me with your ambiguous. It's list. not nearly well, enough. Here, here, now, step on this landmine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, like, for instance, I've heard that uh, some carriers are, I could call a carrier and say, Hey, man, I lost my phone. You send me a SIM card. We're right back to social engineering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the thing with dual authentication or duo authentication, two-step, whatever, is you have to do two things that scare the daylights out of me. One, you have to trust the person who's doing it. Mm -hmm. So is there anybody in that company that isn't just 
given your information out, right? right? And then can I call that company and pretend I'm somebody? Mm. And there are some really scary people out there who do this really well. Mm. And they can trick people into just giving you that information. You know, look, my cell phone's not working, right? So there are people who are really, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There uh-huh. are ways to do this through email. Just you would shudder to know what people are doing out there. Nick, another thing that I feel like we have to ask Don while he's in the room is uh, about how to make the perfect password. Password policies. What should we do? That, that we can actually remember. Yeah, well, there's yeah. that too. Yeah. <laughs> Before, again, thinking about the projects that we're a part of and our, man, oh man, as a project manager, I am entering so many different systems. I have IM, I have email, I have my project software that I'm using. I have, maybe I do have some way, some FTP or other means of sharing files with my customer. Then I have a separate means to share with my vendors. You know, I've got all these things. So I have all these passwords just work-related that I have to keep up with. What should I do? So what advice do you have for us regarding passwords? Okay. So you asked one question and gave example of another question. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. Pick, um, uh, throw, whichever one you want to take. No, we'll read. tackle them both. So how do you make a strong password? Yeah. And it's not really that hard. It's a lot of times when you're asked by your system administrators, you have to change your password. They'll give you certain rules. It can't mm-hmm. be anything you've used in the last, whatever, 90 days, three times, right. whatever. It can't be a common word. There have to be special characters. It has to be so many word, uh, letters long, right? These are all things that are done because they know the algorithms out there that brute force your password. And okay. what I mean by brute force is there are computer systems out there you can buy on the dark web. It'll just continue to try over and over and over again until it finds your password, yeah. okay? And it's not like some magic box that happens. What really happens is it kind of knows in general what people use for their password. For instance, that special character is almost always an exclamation point. Oh, man. (laughs) And it's almost always at the end. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. When you have to have letters and numbers, most people put the year or the year they were born or the year their kids were born. And here's the problem. If I want to know that, I'll just go to your Facebook page. Right. Right? Happy birthday to my grandson, Timmy. You know, he's three years old today. Great. It's (laughs) 2019, so he was born in 2016. Yeah. All right, there's half the password. It might even be the full password, right? So you want to pick things that make absolutely no sense. Okay. Um, All right. and, And so a lot of times we will have... Great example, again, your bank will ask for three security questions. Yes. Uh, usually, I, I don't mind telling you, they ask me what street I grew up on, right? The answer is not the street I grew up on. I'll use another password. Ah, clever. Right. How do you remember that? Uh, so I don't have to. Okay. There are lots of services out there that you can put on your computer. You can put on your cell phone. They work at both. You can sync them, which I don't recommend doing. Okay. But, and I'll just use one that is very popular, but I'm certainly not endorsing. It's sure. called LastPass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so these are password these managers. Are password managers. What are some other, just so LastPass, what are some others? Uh, oh, gosh. I don't even like know. That. I haven't been in. Yeah. But if you Google password manager, oh, God, yeah, you'll, a ton of them will come up. A ton of them will come up. And they'll be rated and, yeah, and sure. all those good things. So tell us about a password. Manager. So it just tells you things like uh, it'll ask you certain questions. You know, what vendor is this? Mm-hmm. What's your password? Or it'll ask you for different. Uh, it'll give you clues as to what it is, right? It's encrypted and it's right. never out in the clear. Mm-hmm. I use one as well. So mm-hmm. just go ahead and explain. You have a master or a strong, what do they call it, The master password? Yep. Okay. So like when I open a browser, 
mm-hmm. I would uh, initiate that handshake, Correct. and then I'm good for all those that I've entered. Right. So for my, you know, again, all the things a project manager uses during the day, right. they're just going to open until up you delete your history. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can. You've got settings. You yep. control you can by exactly. If I close my browser, I got to log back in, or if I reboot my machine, I've got to log back exactly. in. Exactly. So okay. So you recommend or password managers is generally a good idea. They are. Okay. Cool. They save people so much trouble. Mm-hmm. Can they be used on more than one computer? Yeah, you know, I've got a computer at home. I got a computer at work. They, they sure are, can. Now you mentioned you would not recommend syncing it with your maybe tablet or smartphone. Right. right. Okay. Talk about that. Uh, if, with that, get if your tablet gets stolen. Okay. Tablets are easy to break. Computers are easy to break. Cell phones, not so much. How about that? Right. Yeah. But they're easy to break into. And so once they're in, you know, you've kind of got that. So I wouldn't sync that information up. You know, um, Don, you're hitting on something else that I've, it's always been interesting to me. And again, I got an expert in the room. I got to ask. Sure. Many companies, I have a, a number of friends, associates that they have two phones because the company has an issued phone. Right. And it's for security purposes. Correct. And so they can kill that phone if, if there's some kind of breach. I know for a while, tablets were the object of choice for thieves at the airport. Right. Because they were so easy to hack into. Right. And many times they could go straight into the financial data or financial systems of those companies. Right. As a project manager, I'm thinking of, you know, again, policies and protocol they should have. For a project manager, they may feel like, well, that's really personal. If somebody on my team has lost their phone or lost their tablet or they think it's been stolen, I don't want to embarrass them. But there's a bit of a liability here, right? There, it could be we've got the, the door wide open. Right. So I guess what we're saying is the PM should encourage the team as soon as you feel like there's any kind of vulnerability, you've misplaced something, lost something, you got to raise the alarm. Absolutely. And it all goes back to kind of creating a culture of awareness okay. within the business. So too many times companies will have once a year cybersecurity training. And it consists of a PowerPoint that you can watch on your own whenever, and you can just speed through it a lot of times, not even paying attention to it, because you just want to get through it. And then you have some kind of authentication that you watched it, or the video, or maybe there's a quiz that you can take over and over and over again (laughs) until you figure out the right (laughs) answer. So you're not really learning. What we've found is if you do cyber training, if you truly do cybersecurity training, for instance, phishing or ransomware, which is really where I hone in on, and you talk to people about this is how I fished you, and you actually fish them or mm-hmm. you hit them with ransomware and you send them to a landing page that had this been real, you'd have been, this have been a lot worse, whatever, right. you can make the message however you want. But I would strongly recommend that you show people how it happened. Okay. And it's not because they get smarter. Maybe they do. People are just naturally curious. No, I'm with Yeah, people learn that way. Like, wow, how did you, you did that to me? Oh, my God. And then maybe kind of own it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? And then give them little short quizzes and hit them every now and then with it. Or, you know, maybe do a, hey, we've got a $100 gift card for the first person who spots the flaw in this email. Mm -hmm. Right? Those types of things. Continue that culture of awareness. And I don't mean put these signs of some person climbing a mountain and say, you can do it. That, that, nobody <laughs> watches those, right? Right. I'm talking about Real truly examples. getting into their, you know, um, their space. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's not their space, it's yours. They've invaded yours, mm. right? That's they are employees point. of your company. Yeah. And if we all take ownership of that, that makes it so much harder, mm-hmm. Right. That's such a good point. And Don, I know for many of the project managers that I've talked with and interface with, it's their fear when it comes to security of this nature. Right. 
It depends. But for some of them, it's fear for their own company. For others, it's fear for the partner, the customer, the vendor that's not a part of their company. Right. And again, my perspective is both from, you know, I was part of a 90,000 people firm and I was part of an eight people firm. So I've been right. on both sides of that, but right. there's a sense of ownership and liability on that. Now you hit on something and I want to, I love to go fishing, but I think you're talking about a different type of fishing. I give am us, give us some, uh, give, talk to us about safe email and what does phishing mean? Sure. So phishing in the sense of cybercrime oh. is normally takes place in the form of an email that comes out that goes to key people in the organization and it looks very real. And usually within that email, there's something that's embedded in there that's malicious. Okay. So banks are notorious for this. They're great targets for their customers. It's called phishing because you can throw a bunch of hooks in the water and uh -huh. see what comes up. It can go to many, many people. So for instance, all of Gmail, you can just, everything ends in gmail.com, right? Mm -hmm. So you can just put a whole bunch of stuff in the front end of it, have an algorithm, send a bunch of, and then this thing looks like it's from bank so-and-so, but instead of .com, it might say .net or .org or .right. right. Um, and it says your stuff is in danger. You're going to lose all your savings. You're going to lose all your thing. We need you to follow this link and answer the questions, mm -hmm. which you can Google how to do that and set up one in about an hour. And you'll have everyone's information that responds. Wow. So that's one way to fish. Yeah. Uh, another way would be to have an email sent to the chief finance officer and their one downs and say, this is the CEO and make it very demanding. I don't have time. You guys have messed up before. I need this checks or this money wired to this account right now. This customer is angry. And the thing is, how do you find out whose customers they are? Well, the thing that makes everything so wonderful to do business is, is the same thing that makes everything so vulnerable. We mm. advertise it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we put down so much on social mm. networks and just on our website. Right. When I was uh, in corporate and I was doing this type of stuff, I would argue with our web designers and our marketing people all the time. We should have, we should put this on our website. No, we shouldn't. Uh, yes, we want to boast that we have the largest client and we just took on this big thing. Super. You just told some would-be hacker that we're doing this. But the problem is, is the marketing team doesn't see it that way. Sure. We need more business. Yeah, if yeah. we don't put this out, so it's a fine line, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. so you have to have good communication between the upper echelons, right? right? What can do it? And so when you're going mm. to put something out, well, that's a good talk to this. Yeah, talk to your project managers. Absolutely. Talk to your IT people. Talk to your security people. If we're going to put this out, fine. Ten minutes, twenty minutes a day, two days before you put this out, send an internal email to your people saying, "Look, this is going to happen. If you get any emails about this, please direct them to so and so, mm -hmm. whoever that person right. might be." Just a little more forethought. And business moves very quickly. Yeah. And so what was great today might not be great tomorrow. And mm -hmm. if you're dealing with yesterday's stuff, that's problematic today. Mm -hmm. However, right, if you can just slow down a minute yeah. and think about what are the ramifications of this, who can take what I'm about to put out there and turn it against me? Got it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Let me ask you about ransomware. We're hearing so much more about this. Companies being attacked 
hackers demanding ransom. Right. How does this happen? How, do, how does this even get into their system? Well, it starts with phishing, mm. <laughs> most often. So instead of you giving me information when I send you this email, you're allowing me access to your system. So when you click this link or you press, you know, open this attachment, you've just allowed me into your system. You don't know it, but you have. And so mm. I can set up what's called a botnet which is basically a system or, or a program that runs around your network, maps it for me, does certain things that are, are super, super technical, and sends me information back out. Usually I'll ride that out on an email. And by the end of, I don't know, a couple of days, I haven't got your entire network. And I've set up anyone who opens that email, um, now those computers, unknowing to you, are talking to each other and talking mm, to me. To you. So I've got a network set up within oh, your network, wow. and I have the keys to the kingdom. Now what ransomware does is it encrypts files. It usually will change the extension of the file. Right. So for a Microsoft Excel, it's usually .xls. Mm -hmm. It'll change that .xl something to an, another thing. It's not super, super complicated to do that. But when you open this Excel worksheet, Microsoft Excel needs to see that extension on the end, that dot something on the mm -hmm. end, or it doesn't know what to do, right? It, it'll tell you this is not an Excel, mm -hmm. and that becomes a problem, and it does mm -hmm. to all your files. Yeah, my fear then as a project manager is me or a member of my team is going to be the, the gateway, right? <laughs> yeah. that we're going to make that mistake. You don't want to be the gateway. Exactly, Right. right? So as a PM, as, as a leader of a team, what do we do to help our, to, to raise awareness? Like you said, maybe it's a culture mm -hmm. of awareness. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a one-time thing. It's not a bring in donuts. No. no talk no. about it. Right. It's, it has to be a normal protocol. And what well, it brings us full circle back yeah. to your first question. You know, what's the most open network? It's the open, the most open network is the person who has an end user who's going to be able to give yeah. permission to anyone they want into the system. So... How do you do that? You raise awareness. Uh, it's really and truly the only way yeah. uh, at this point to stop it. Show examples, um, like the phishing example, the email, show perfect, examples. Perfect. Right. Maybe even play games. Play games. Set them up. Sure. <laughs> Trivia questions, these types yeah. of things. Because if you're a big company, and let's say you have 500 customer-facing people, I might have spent $100 million securing the network, doing everything compliance is asking me to do, yeah. doing everything that my vendors are telling me to do. So update this patch, you know, right. all of those things. Yep. The ransomware attacker needs one person out of those 500 to click on it. Mm, and wow. you can defeat everything that they've done. So it changes the file extensions. Yes. And so you can't get into any files. Right. And, and then they send you some sort of message that says, I'll change it all back right. if you yeah. uh, give me some money. Right, which they usually won't. Only about 40% that we are aware wow. of actually do that. Would it surprise you that about 30% of them are actually state actors? Huh. Actually what? State actors. So they're working on behalf of a country. Wow. Espionage, mm -hmm. getting information. Hmm. What we're talking about in this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg. There is cyber warfare going on right now as mm -hmm. we speak. There is cyber terrorism going on right now. We're hiding our information on the net, right? We're not boots on the ground and all of that kind of stuff. It's whatever it is, but it is going away. Information is now the key to everything. Mm -hmm. If I can shut down your power grid, why do I need a war? Yeah, right. right. So what does it take for a company to recover from this kind of attack? Ah, so ransomware can be easily stopped, 
aside from the awareness thing, just back up your files. <laughs> so <laughs> the city of Atlanta files. breach, which is now pretty much out there um, in the open. There's, there's not a whole lot that I can't talk about. But one of the key systems that made them vulnerable was they did not patch their software as it came in. So a Microsoft shell will tell you, even Microsoft 10, when it's on there and even on your personal computer, it'll say, hey, you need to update this. What they're sure. telling you in essence is we found a hole. We as Microsoft found a hole that makes you vulnerable. Fix it mm. simply by just saying, update my system. Okay, and you will, and everything's secure. If you don't do that, mm. do you not think mm. these hackers are getting that same email? So um, again, back to the PM, the PM says, okay, my team, when you are asked to upgrade your software to the latest and greatest version, do it. Do it. You know, click yes. And even, you know, backing up data, making sure that we have good backup protocol in place. Right. So we do have a place to fall back on. Right. If we were to, to have that awful day happen where ransomware or something else hit us, you know, good practices. It will be the number one small business hack yep. within two years. So you're talking about the future now, and, and we wanted to go there a bit. Mm -hmm. Just give us a sense for, as we continue to have better, more accessible, easy access tools as project managers, we also know there, there's a price to pay with that. You know, we've talked about some of that. How do you see that playing out in the future? Where do you see cybercrime going? So we go back to the beginning again. This is what keeps me up at night. As technology becomes better and better, the loopholes in it become better and better. We, especially as Americans, we like the convenience of everything. Yes. Okay. Um, there's a point where we're not even going to go shopping for groceries anymore. We're right. just going to have it delivered, whatever. Right. But every time you touch that internet, every time you click that button, you're vulnerable. So the easiest way to stop doing that is make less clicks, make it harder for people to get those gaps in between. How many times the how many people touch this? Hmm in order to make whatever the action is that you wanted to happen, happen. There are people out there who are working night and day to figure out how to make it more secure and better and faster and more convenient. But with convenience comes the loopholes. Yeah, and there are people who are up night and day, 24-7, trying to figure out what that loophole is and exploit it. In general, though, and I, I know I painted a pretty dark picture there, but in general... It's as simple as be vigilant when you're out there. Think twice before you click on something. If it seems too good to be true, it's the old adage, right? Mm -hmm. I don't even need to finish it. And then just think it through. But what am I doing? And do I need to do what I'm doing to get there? And just as something that we haven't talked about, but I'd really like project managers to know, watch your sales force. Sales people in general are good people. They're willing to help. <laughs> they're willing to do whatever they can to make a sale. Number one, their livelihood depends on it, sure. but they're just wired that way, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're wired that way, hackers know that. Right. And they know that salespeople have access to a lot of information. And if I can pretend I'm one of your salespeople, if I can hack your email and then send an email to someone, they can send that information to me and you are in trouble mm. then, right? Great um, so you really don't want to forget your sales force. You have all these people internally, but you're forgetting about your salespeople out there you're sitting in their car, sitting at a coffee shop on public Wi-Fi, yes. right, doing yeah. their things, which is unfortunately that's necessary. But again, what makes it necessary to do business makes it absolutely vulnerable. Just hang out at a coffee shop for a couple of days all day 
just spend some time and look for people with a backpack. And it might have an antenna sticking out of it, right? We Normally, it's an Alpha 4 hooked to a Raspberry Pi, and we don't need to talk about all of that. But these are all things you can just go to any store and pick up. And you can do all kinds of damage with that. You can change even the where it looks like you're from. If we had a laptop in here, I could make it look like we're in St. Petersburg, Russia, right? So that's one of the loopholes that everybody knows about. Salespeople have access to the system, and they're also traveling, so they stop at these coffee shops because it's free Wi-Fi. So think about it. It's free. Yeah. How much security is it really going to have? Right. you got to use VPN, right? Yeah, you, you, you have to bring use. your own security with you. Yeah. I feel like we have a bright future ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, go home right now, change all my passwords, yes. change my email addresses. I, I mean, what should we as individuals be doing right now to become more secure? <laughs> so one of my academic mentors and a very good friend who is a, a prominent scholar, and when I tell you what he told me, it's going to sound stupid, but it makes perfect sense. He envisions a future where we all go back to paying things for cash mm -hmm. and don't use the internet. Yeah. And it sounds silly, you know, but that's one future that could very well happen. However, that's not going to be for a super long time. And so how do we interact? How do we move throughout those things? I would say very carefully yeah. uh, because it's only going to get more technical. We're only going to, I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, you didn't know what all these things an iPhone could do. Right. Right. And the technology that's coming out now is exponential. Not only technology on the hardware, but the way we do things. Look at the banking industry, right? Look at the payments industry. All of these innovative new ways to do it. And yes, we have got, there are a couple of Scandinavian countries who do have chips in their forearms and can pay that way. Wow. And get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that way so we are getting to that so dual authentication and all the rest of that how about putting it right there uh, <laughs> you know you've got a, an rfi chip in mm -hmm. your arm you've it's got an idea for project sure, managers sure. you know hey why not just take the whole team get a tattoo just happens to have a card in it <laughs> yeah. but seriously the the advice you've given on for the project manager to create a culture of awareness is huge that's a that's a great starting point and something that should be as routine for us as Risk management is looking at the schedule, looking at resources. It needs to be a part of what we do on a regular basis. Right. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, great. Well, I tell you what, Don, a lot of things to think about here as, uh, as we go forward. And, and obviously, this is going to be a topic that, that we'll probably be talking about for, for years and years and years. Right. But we thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Oh, this has been fun. Hey, before you go, how can people get more information about just what to do to prevent cybercrime? Are there places we can go on the internet <laughs> you know, to, to find out uh, you know, more about how to protect ourselves? Of course there are. Microsoft is a great example. They have all that information. There are other companies out there, like one of the bigger ones is uh, Symantec. Sure. They've got all kinds of open information for anyone. Go to those types of places. You can certainly co-read some of the literature and some of the data we've put out. Um, if you go to evidencebasedcybersecurity.org, we have a bunch of information out there, and you can certainly go there. And we're also wide open to uh, suggestion. We do help with 
companies and individuals and all of these things. We're always looking for partners and people to, you know, partner up with, which is a nice tautology for you. You know, we want partners to partner up with. Um, <laughs> but we do look to partner with individuals and companies, and we look to look at the new trends. We want to see what are the problems you're facing. And I would encourage you to reach out to us. We're happy to come to your place, especially if it's in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> you can come to our place. You can tour our labs. We are wide open, and this is one of the biggest initiatives that uh, any university has ever taken on. So we're happy to help, too. Well, thanks again. And we got a gift for you, the uh, Manage right. This Coffee Mug. Nice. Yes. Use that with our compliments. And why do I have this one instead of that one? This is mine. You can't have it. <laughs> oh, it's got your DNA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can make my own Nick. <laughs> Just need an incubator. <laughs> well, thanks again. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right. What a great topic today. And I want to encourage our listeners to suggest topics and guests for us to have here on Manage This. If you have a suggestion, just email us at manage underscore this at velocityteach.com. Meanwhile, don't forget to claim your free PDUs, those professional development units, for listening to this podcast. Go to velocityteach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and then click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on July 16th for our next podcast. In the meantime, we'd love to have you visit us at velocityteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.